Well, this is going to be a stupid sermon. Everything that I'm going to say today, if you do it, the majority of people in the Western world will think that you're stupid. We've been going through it. I love it when it gets awkwardly quiet, right? What we've been going through the last three weeks is the first week we looked at the providence of God, about how God is completely in control with the affairs of the world and in our individual lives. The second week we looked at what Jesus made from that. Jesus is saying, if God takes care of, remember, birds, if God takes care of flowers, then you're in between and how much more valuable are you than they? So we learned that because God is absolutely sovereign, nothing slips past His grasp or His gaze, and because He is, we can trust Him. That's a very simple principle. And today we're actually going to look, okay, well, what do we do about that? If you notice in your, your worship guide, we have an outline on the back, and we've got the title of our, of our message today, and it's called Free Giving. And what in the world do we mean by that? Well, our driving thought here, you can look at it with me, it is that giving in faith will set you free. When we act and give based upon who God is, it opens up a whole new level. And in fact, it reinvents a life to where people who previously had no joy now have joy. And I want to just take a moment here and pray. I'm going to ask you to to pray with me that God would give us a supernatural touch this morning as we study this topic. Because I'm telling you, the second that we get into the text today, everything that most of us have been taught, everything that most of us think and may hear, may be screaming out, no, 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 when the Word of God is actually saying something different. So let's do that. Can we do that this morning? Let's all pray and ask God to give us a special touch of His Spirit. You know, like, what is going to happen next? Let's pray, all right? Father, we just want to come before you and and acknowledge that everything that we have, our relationships and our possessions, are gifts from you. And God, if it were not for your grace and your mercy, every single one of us would not be here. We would be in hell right now. But because you're merciful to an extent that we can't ever understand fully, you have allowed us to live and to breathe and to live in this incredible country and be here in Rocky Mount, Virginia, in this place today to hear your word read and explained. And Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would free us from greed, that you would rip away materialism and a false sense of security. And I pray, God, that you would replace confidence in our bank accounts with confidence in you. You know, help us to have a proper perspective on what it means to truly follow you in every area of our life. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to begin there in verse 1. I'm just going to give you the background here. First Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The whole chapter is a case study on above and beyond normal giving. 
This is a, a, a case study for how God responds to those who give above and beyond what is normal. In fact, the Holy Spirit moves upon the Apostle Paul to include this in section in the Bible that you've got one group of Christians taking up a special offering for another group of Christians who if the other Christians did not help them, they would have probably starved to death. They were under persecution. It was terrible. But honestly, this is normal Christianity. If you're taking notes, write down James chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. The Bible says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, but without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? The Word of God is telling us that there is something that is real faith that actually acts, and there is a false faith which says, Hey, brother, be warmed and filled. May God bless you. And the guy's like, my family has no food. We don't have heat for the winter. We don't have what we need to survive. I'm trying to work, but I can't find work. The Bible is saying that a person who claims to follow Christ but can look at a need like that and not be bothered to the point that they actually meet that need is an absolute joke. It's an absolute joke. Let me give you another text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us. Man, one of the things that we're going to look at is when Christ changes our hearts. Not when we make a decision in church. Not when we maybe get baptized or sprinkled. But when we get born again. Amen, church? When we get transformed, not because of some decision we make, but of an action that God does. When we get set free, we cannot look at the world through the same lenses. We have to look and say, how can I help? Now, if there's a chapter in the Bible that is dedicated to helping Christians who need to have their physical needs needing to be met, then how much more important is it for us to bring the gospel by way of giving financially? Now, some people say, and I've heard preachers say this, I will never talk about money. Well, guess what? I don't want to talk about any more or less than what Jesus talked about. Jesus talked about, <laughs> he talked about money a lot. Do you know why? I mean, was, G- was Jesus going like, a, well, did he have like a Jesus campaign? You know, see Jesus on like first century TBN, you know, send in your seed and God will give you a thousand dollars in return. No, Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head, right? Jesus was dirt poor in his earthly life. Well, why in the world would Jesus talk about money? Because Jesus knows that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And we dig into this message, one thing that we're going to find is the way that we incline our hearts to God is to simply write the check. And you say, already, bro, you have turned me off. You want more money for your church. No, no, no. I don't work on commission. Okay? With what we take up each week, it's not like I'm like, okay, how can I, how can I squeeze a little bit more out of them in that 30 second giving speech? Doesn't work that way. I'll give you a few options at the end of this message and none of them, 
Ascent goes to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. I want to be upfront and honest and clear just so if there's somebody here and you say, man, I've had a bad experience with preachers trying to take everything from people. I've had a bad church experience. Some people I've heard have been in churches to where um, the the, the pastor um, has actually, this is in South Carolina, a pastor of a church that I knew had actually cleaned out the bank account and skipped town. So a lot of times when we hear ministers or preachers or pastors talk about money, we're jaded. We're like, okay, so what's in it for you? Look, nothing. It's not going to affect what I make. And what I'm going to ask you to give to at the end of this message, we're going to funnel it through the church because we're going to write the check, but none of it stays here. We all on the same page? Okay. The Bible tells us that God's nature is such that He is holy. To be holy means to be without sin and without blemish. In fact, if you go back to the very first parts of Genesis, you find God giving. In fact, we are never more like Jesus, Pastor Johnny Hunt says, than when we are giving. A Christian who does not give of time and finances is a joke. And I'm going to unpack that. Is that a little bit too calloused? The reason why I'm going that direction is because often in the U.S., man, we, we can have this whole thing like, well, I love Jesus and I love, but we don't ever, we don't ever talk to lost people. Y'all all right? We don't give so that the, that, that, that missionaries can go to lost people. And then sometimes what we give, we give so we can feel good that we actually gave something. When we compare what we gave to what we make, it's a joke. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. This means that early on in the book of Genesis, remember when God gave the sun to be the big light in the daytime and the moon to be the light at night? And it says literally that, you know, God created it so that it would give light to the world so that we could live. And and then it says that God gave every green herb of the field to eat. Doesn't say to smoke. All right. I've talked to some guys like, dude, it says like every green herb. No, no, no. To to eat. All right. To eat it. And then in Genesis chapter nine, right after the floodwaters recede from the earth, God makes a covenant with Noah. And then God says, I give to you every living thing to eat for food. Throughout the Bible, you see God giving when we don't deserve it. And if we could fast forward to when Jesus came, Jesus came when we didn't deserve it, and he gave what we could never earn. You see, that's, that's, that's the gospel. You say, okay, now Jeff, um, what exactly does God give? Well, most of all, God gives mercy. Amen, church? He gives mercy because we're here. He gives mercy because we're not in hell. He said, hold on, that sounds a little bit old-fashioned. That sounds a little bit you know, hardcore. Okay, if God is perfect and holy and just and righteous, and we are sinners, and if the Bible is right when it says that the soul that sins, it shall die. If we're sinners, we haven't died yet. And yet, in one sense, it is a spiritual death, but speaks physically to them. Why are we still here? You ever thought about that? Sometimes we get all mad and flustered and puffed up against God. Like, God, how could you ever let this happen to me? Let's think about that. How could God and who He is ever let what has happened to us happen to us? It's only because of His mercy that we're not in hell. And because He's merciful, He's given us this time here this morning. If you've never trusted Christ, if you've never been saved, we're going to have a, a time of invitation. Even in the service, you need to get saved in the middle of the service. You just say, God, would you save me? And He will. 
Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe your heart that you raise, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. You can get saved today. It's His mercy. He said, okay, now Jeff, what, how exactly does that work with giving? Well, here's how it works. When we give, we are in a sense mimicking God. Let me break down what that means. You ever played the game? Um, remember uh, Simon Says? Right? Some of you have bad memories. You're like, man, I thought I was a smart kid in school, but I couldn't pat my head and, and rub my stomach at the same time. I hate, right, Simon Says. And the goal of Simon Says is, is to do what who? Simon Says. If whoever's Simon, but he doesn't say Simon, you don't do what he says. And when, y'all think, I thought that was funny. I think a couple people in the back thought it was funny. All right, good. When we give, what we're doing is we're actually fulfilling the purpose for which we were made. If you've got to, take notes, write down Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. And this is Solomon, the Mac Diesel of the ancient Near East, coming to the end of his life, looking at everything, all of his riches, all of his women. And you know that the bro was stressed out because he had around a thousand women in his life. And, you know, some guys I've talked to, they're like, man, I don't know if I can handle one. You know, Solomon definitely needed to be writing some nihilistic poetry, right? Here's what he says. The end of the matter is this. And guys, this would, that would not be a time to turn and kind of poke your wife, all right? You know, to give her the elbow. Here's what he says. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The thing called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which it's a, it's a collection of Christian beliefs several hundred years ago. And it says that man's chief end or our main purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I actually obey God? Well, when you look from Genesis to Revelation, you see God giving, right? You see him giving life. You see him giving blessings. You see him giving children, giving relationships. I mean, all sorts of things, jobs. Even when they may not be the ones that we really want to work, God gives. So when I give, my joy depends upon it. And often when we begin to, to worry, remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? The worry, remember the rocking chair up here? I kind of freaked y'all out when I preached a little bit sitting down in the rocking chair. When we think about worry, often that's the result of not realizing that God is in control, but also me not actually giving based upon who I say I think God really is. And when we give, let me give you an example. Um, do you remember, have you ever talked to somebody who's come back from a mission trip? Somebody who's come back from maybe witnessing. Somebody who's even done something like help out at the local soup kitchen and give somebody a cold cup of water in the name of Jesus. Or somebody, they probably not going to advertise it, but somebody God just laid it upon their heart to write a big check percentage-wise, to give so the gospel can go to the darkest places around the world. Man, it is an amazing thing, right, when you go out and you witness to somebody. You're like, man, I'm so scared. They may ask me, you know, what do I think about Darwinism? Or, you know, what do I think about word studies in Leviticus? I don't know. You know, I mean, and I'm going to, but I'm going to go. I'm going to try to invite them to church. I'm going to try to witness. And you go and you talk to them. And then afterwards, like when you went, you're dragging your feet like, oh, no. This is going to be like numero uno awkward time. But then when you leave, it's like God says, good job, good job. And you gave. And then when you leave, you've got this sense of joy. It's just like, dude, this is awesome. I was watching a video on YouTube and it's this, these guys who do base jumping. They've got something called a squirrel suit. 
It has kind of fabric that goes from here to here. And basically what they do, they jump off mountains. Deacons, y'all ready to go? We'll put that one to the committee of committees, right? On committees of super committees. And they would jump off these mountains. I mean, these guys would be trucking like 200 miles an hour. And then finally they would pull that parachute. And when those guys hit the ground, they all are doing something like, well, maybe they, they might have the little, you know, edited, you know, beep. And, uh, but, but they're all, all something like, man, that was amazing. They're just going nuts because what they did caused a sense of joy. But I'm telling you that when you begin to develop in your life a regular pattern of giving to the Lord's work, God will fill you up with joy. And what I have found, I'm going to share just a little personal story here in just a few minutes, which for a preacher, that means about four hours. All right. But, but I'm just kidding, choir people. Even if Jesus returns, he'll wait for the cantata to be over. All right? Okay? Just kidding. But I'm telling you, when we begin to give, we actually... Have you ever heard that phrase, dovetail? It means to sync up together. It means to fit together like a puzzle. We fit together with the way that God wired us. That's why sometimes when we try to get, 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 never give, 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 we are so focused and it's like, we're just stressed out upon what we have and what we don't have. Well, when we begin to give, it is when God begins to free up, to free up the joy in our life. And I guarantee you, if you take the challenge and you begin to do that, we're going to unpack what that means here in just a few minutes. It'll be amazing in your life. So number one there, we're going to walk through this very quickly as an outline of the text. By the way, you say, I'm I'm a visitor. How do you guys roll? What do you do here? Um, We believe that this is God's word. We believe that it is inspired by God. We believe that it is inerrant. It doesn't have any errors. That it's infallible. And it is our authority for the way that we do things. All right? So, you know, they say, well, Jeff, what do you think? I think what this says. Okay? That's why every week we open up the text and we walk through it. Sometimes you got like, man, we walk through it line by line. You know why? Because God's smarter than me. And God's smarter than you. That's why we teach the text. We don't just jump around all over the place so that I can twist it to make it say what I want it to say. The Bible tells us there in verse number 6, Paul gives the application. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What he's saying here is that, this is in your notes, your return depends upon your investment. He's saying that, first off, though, I think that we need to understand that giving is not intuitive, right? The way that we gain security in the U.S., we think, is that we, we get enough so to the point that we're secure, right? Isn't that the way that works? Now, now, next week, I'm most excited about, because we're going to look from the Bible how to manage your money. You say, Jeff, I would love to give, but I am in debt up to the top of my hair if I stuck my finger in an outlet. Like, I am so in debt, it's not even funny. We're going to talk about how to get out of debt, what the Bible says. You say, Jeff, I, I'm young or I'm old, I, I want to figure out how, how, how I can make money. We're actually going to look in the Bible what it says about how to make money. It's going to be an amazingly practical message from the Bible, and it works. We're also going to look at how to avoid, if you've ever ever made dumb, we don't want to have a show of hands, but I just want to ask any of you, have you ever made a dumb financial move? Right? When you bought it, and then when you look at it, or you drive it, or you get pulled behind it on the lake, you're saying words about it that are probably not very proper. Y'all with me? 
We talk about how to get out of that mess and how God can bring financial freedom. I hope that you will be here next week. It's an awesome, awesome. It's going to be like Proverbs, boom, right up there. But notice that we think that giving is not intuitive. Let me give you a couple verses here. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Write this down. This would be great. This would be great to just put um, on your, your house somewhere. Just give your kid a marker and let them mark. I'm just kidding. All right. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. This is going to sound so weird. The Bible says, One gives freely, notice, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and suffers want or suffers need. Verse 25, Proverbs 11. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Well, it doesn't make any sense. If I'm pouring out all my water, where am I going to get more water? That's pretty dumb. Or are we trusting and obeying the one who made everything? Y'all going with, y'all tracking with me on this? Are we actually going to say, you know what? I have a limited amount of water. I actually owe more water than I have. What the Bible's saying is that if you step out in faith and you do what God simply told you to do, your joy will explode and God will eventually get you out of the hole that you don't think that can be dug out by anybody. Let me give you another one. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. The Bible says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. This is Jesus. Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. That means when you go to McDonald's and they don't just put fries in it. It means when they shake it around and they make sure all the fries... Y'all with me? Alright, got some McDonald's over. All the fries fall together. They put some more and shake it some more and put some more. And then when they hand it to you, fries are everywhere. That's in the Hebrew. Or the Greek, I'm sorry. New Testament. Just kidding. Okay, notice, and Jesus finishes it off with this. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the Bible's telling us that giving brings freedom. You say, well, man, how do I actually do? Like, how do you do that? Here's one incredible principle I learned from a great Bible teacher. He says, what you do, we can do this here in this service, is you transfer ownership of all that you own, which, by the way, we really don't own anything. Because one day, all of us, no matter how often we go to the Y or some gym or we eat the berries that grow in the Himalayas or, you know, we, we have all sorts of surgeries done. And one day you're going to die. Aren't you glad you came to church? Amen. Right. Welcome to Rocky Mount Baptist. You're going to die. You know, you're looking around like deacons with shotguns. Right. One day I'm going to die. And everything that we quote-unquote own will often, and this is the dirty little secret of the way most family works, most families work, what we are so enamored with will be passed on. I mean, you ever notice when people get up in church and it's like everybody looks at who got up in church like we've never seen it before? It's like, whoa, humans walking, you know? Sermon goes on hold for a minute. 
Often, the, the dirty little secret of the way that a lot of families work is the stuff that we're so enamored with and we're so in love with goes to people that we don't even like. And the kids sell the farm and split it up. Sell it to people who come build houses on it. Sell the, sell the antique car that you put all of that work into. It just gets gutted and reinvented. Here's the biblical concept that, 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 that's undergirding the presupposition, the foundation of Paul's argument here. Is that none of us know, own anything, but God allows us to be stewards of something for a certain amount of time. Now here's the difference. An owner ha- possesses and has ownership of whatever it is. A steward has been given the responsibility, this is so cool from the Bible, the responsibility from the owner to use the product or to use the thing for the benefit of the owner. So that means that, that everything that God is, has given us, we simply need to come to the point today to where we say, God, my car, my house, my Xbox, my crochet kit, I mean, whatever I have, I'm transferring that to you. It is no longer mine, but it is yours. And whenever I seek to use what you have given me, I will ask the question, is this in line with your will? And it will set you free because here's why. Have you ever been stressed out about your stuff? I have. And it's not fun. It is incredibly lame. But when we give everything that we have to God, kind of like an existential leap of faith, like, God, it's yours, and whatever I do with my money, or with, you know, I'm I'm trusting you to help me. I come next Sunday, if Jeff doesn't tell me how to get out of debt, I'm going to kill him because I'm going to come, you know, and I just need you to help me. What happens is that the responsibility for your stuff is now God's and not yours. Just like when you get into the car when you're a kid, and we've used this illustration before, and dad's in, he's, sorry kids, get in, get in the car, we're gonna go for a drive on the Blue Ridge Parkway, or we're gonna go on a short vacation. You never sit there and said, dad, have you checked the oil? Have you checked the tire pressure? You're like, five! You'd be like, you're a weird kid, stop worrying so much. Because dad and mom, because your parents were taking you somewhere, you just got in the car. So when you transfer ownership to the Lord, He's going to take care of His stuff. Right? God takes care of His stuff. C.S. Lewis says this. I do, and I love this, because I know the, 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 the foreboding question in most people's minds at this point is say, okay, is He going to tell me i got to tithe? Is He going to tell me I have to do 5%, 8%? What's the bottom line? Tell me, preacher. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. I do not believe one can settle on how much we ought to give I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Let me read that again. Let, let it, I want you to think about this. Let it soak. C.S. Lewis says, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. You say, well, Jeff, I, I want to be a generous person, but I just struggle with that. I'm not naturally giving oriented. Well, most of us, most of us aren't. Sometimes you say, well, I've got a kid and he always gives her. She gives her Skittles to her brothers and sisters. And then she says, wait till she starts working, right? And sees that paycheck and sees how much Uncle Sam requires for what Uncle Sam does. And um, Congress and all that good stuff. And I don't know if you guys saw Shooting Stars uh, the other day. That that was actually bouncing checks from Washington. I don't know if anybody saw that. But um, people ask the question, say, Jeff, how do I change my heart? Number one, we can't change our heart. But one thing that you can do to begin this process, this road to joy, is to begin to give regularly to the work of Christ. 
So that doesn't make sense. So I'm supposed to give so that I can get joy. I'm supposed to give so that I can, I can be free. How does that actually work? Well, it works because Jesus says that where your treasure is, your, your what? Help me out, church. Your heart is also. So if I begin to invest my treasure into the things that God values, after a certain amount of time, guess what I'm going to start valuing? What I give to. I'm going to start valuing what God values. Secondly, there's some angles on this. The first angle, once again, your return depends upon your investment. Secondly, your investment or your giving reflects your heart. It reflects your heart. See, as Jeff, how should I give? Notice what the Bible says there in verse number 7. Each one should give or must give as he has decided in his heart. So it's a heart issue. It's a worship issue. It's a relationship issue with Christ. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we have this in your notes. I'm going to read it. It's there on your worship guide. Never in the New Testament is the issue if a believer should give, but what and how a believer should give. We should give from a regenerated, born-again, transformed heart decision to give a specific amount or a certain percentage. And some persons say, well, Jeffrey, you're saying that the New Testament requires me to tithe. Most of you probably recognize just that question is saying, give me the bottom line. Tell me what I have to give in order to be okay with God. That is often from a greedy, corrupt, sinful, ungrateful heart. It's like saying, God, you've given me life. You've given me my family. You've given me my job. You've given me the air to breathe. You've given me the offer of eternal life. But I want to know, God, what's the least I can possibly give to you to soothe my guilty conscience? And if we simply set back and examine how amazing God was in allowing us to have what we have, we would never even ask the question. Um, a note here, and this is also just for informational purposes so we can make an informed decision. The Bible, in Genesis 14, 20, there was a tithe before the Mosaic Law. So some people will base the argument you, can't, you should or you should not tithe based upon the Mosaic Law. Well, the tithe was instituted before that. Um, there's a, a base level of giving that's assumed in the New Testament. In other words, what we're looking at, it's a, it's a special above and beyond offering to the things of God. The Bible says not reluctantly or grudgingly. That means to be in pain of mind or spirit. Remember the Sandlot? The movie? You're killing me, Smalls? Bible's saying that that's not the spirit that should be there. Not under compulsion or necessity. It's not like, God, you're this big cosmic bully and you're making me do what I really don't want to do. But it says that God loves a cheerful giver. In the Greek, this is hilaros. The word hilarity. In other words, what it's talking about is God loves it when we are excited to give to Him. There's a glaring absence of security and self-worth and purpose and money in a cheerful giver. You see, Jeff, I want to be a cheerful giver. How do I do that? You begin to give. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, that's what Jesus says. You say, okay, so how do I move from that? I really want to, well, you give. You give regularly. Whenever God pays you, you give to the work of Christ. You ever, you ever talk to, um, or you know people who are addicted to coffee? Just by way of example, some people, I've got to have my coffee, right? By 10 o'clock at the office, if he doesn't have his coffee, he's like, you know, going into a coma, foaming at the mouth, like, get the man some coffee. Make an emergency run to Starbucks. Maybe a better example would be exercise. Remember that first day and we've got, we've got another first of the year. You ever notice when you go to the gym in, in January, it's filled up, right? People just tearing it up, you know, machines breaking. 
Then by February, you're like, where did everybody go? When you first start exercising, it feels so awkward, it feels so terrible. But if you ever get into a routine of something like that, it feels awkward not to do it. And when you begin to give, it's going to come to the point where God changes our hearts to where it will be awkward for us not to actually do it. I say, Jeff, what type of offerings did they give in the Old Testament? Well, it wasn't just the tithe off the gross. Here are a few, a list of a few of the offerings that they gave on top of uh, their tithe. Burn offerings, drink offerings, free will offerings, heave offerings, meal offerings, peace offerings, thank offerings, trespass offerings. That's a lot. You know, Jeff, I can't, I can't afford to tithe. And notice I have not told you you should tithe yet. I'm building the case in the Old Testament. Say, what if I can't afford to tithe? Do you know none of us will ever be able to afford to tithe? Never do that. Never will come to that point. That's why this sermon is stupid, because God is telling you that even when you don't think that you have the money, you give to His work anyway, and He's going to reward your obedience. That's the way it works. The world's way says you've got you to build up to where you'll be able to give. God says you give when you have little. Remember what Jesus said about he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with what? Grande mucho, a lot. Three. The third angle, God will bless you above and beyond your gift. It's the depression antidote to give. This is in verses 8 and 10. Number four, the angle, God will give you freedom through your giving. Notice what it says there in verses 11 and 12 in the text. This is so cool. It says, Paul says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So what he's saying is that when you give, when you don't have much, God is going to give you more so you can give more. I got fired up and I lost my place. Here we go. In every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So it's like this. God gives us something. It may not be a lot. We give that away. God gives us more to give away. But when we give away, we have just so much of a joy to be with God. Now, verse number 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And isn't that what most of us really want deep inside our soul? Sometimes we look in and we say, you are just so jacked up. You're just, you've got so many issues. You ever been talking to yourself, right? Going down the road, somebody catches you. Pull out your cell phone like you were talking on speakerphone. Talk to yourself like, look, what's wrong with you? Most of us, if we could really peel back the layers, what we want is a closeness with God. We want to say, God, I, I sin. I mess up. Sometimes I do. I'm like, and I look back, I'm like, Paul, like I, I want to do the right thing, but I, I don't always do that. And I never want to do the wrong thing, but it seems like I do the wrong thing more than I do the right thing. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And Paul says in Romans chapter 7, the man Christ Jesus. We're like, Lord, I just want to be close with you. I want to love you. I want to walk with you. I want to be a follower of you. And the way that that happens, the Bible saying, is we begin to mimic God and imitate Him by giving regularly because there's never a point. Even Matthew 5 says that God causes His Son to rise on the just and the unjust and sends rain on the evil and the good. So that means when the day that God takes a break from giving to us the mercies of life, that's when we can stop giving to His work. Um, and I'm going to tell you this um, just by way, because often people say, okay, well, the whole time that may be good and true from the Bible. How has this worked in your life? Um, <clears throat> I'm thankful to have godly parents 
And they, they taught me the value of, of giving to the Lord um, the first to give. Um, and once again, the New Testament doesn't necessarily reinstate the tithe. It, it assumes a base giving. So I'm just going to open this up and say, you know what? I'm going to encourage you to seek the heart of God as to what you should give. Once again, this is not a case study for tithing. This is what we looked at today as above and beyond what the normal giving is to the work of the Lord. But they taught me to give. And uh, my three years in seminary, I made well below the poverty line. Okay, I was looking at my early this morning, I was looking at the, uh, the tax returns. And I don't know how, how, it, how it worked out. And once again, I was in graduate school. That costs money. Books cost money. It costs money for an apartment. It costs money for the car. Everything that we have to live. And when you're a student, you can't work full time. I mean, you, you, some can. I was not able to. I worked part time. If you want to know, that, I, I thought about mentioning but I thought that may be too awkward. It's pretty, pretty stinking low. All right? I would not have been the guy you want to come to for a loan in, in those three years. But when I came out of that, I had I had close to four to five thousand dollars more in my savings account than when I went into seminary for three years in a row, paying out for tuition, paying out for all of that. I don't know how it happened. But one thing, the only thing, and this is not, you know, a, a wow Jeff story I just gave um, to the Lord and tried to give to missions, even though it wasn't much. I believe it was simply God confirming that says, you know what, this doesn't work mathematically. Another example is, um, I, I don't know, this is just something I remember in my life as a turning point in my heart with giving. I was going to a college, this was in my undergrad program, and it was very tight. My dad was a pastor, not of a large church, and my mom stayed home and uh, homeschooled us. So any, any idiosyncrasies that you see within me, I am homeschooled with a K, all right? So genuine homeschooler up here, and... Um, uh, so we, we, I mean, we, we never went hungry, but there just wasn't a lot to go around. I was trying to, you know, work in the summer. To, we had a lawn business, and um, I was working this one summer. We would go in uh, and work. I worked a regular job. We'd go in about 5 uh, in the morning and get done at about 1, and then we would cut grass uh, in our business from 1 till about dark, just trying to save up as much as I could. And I had been to Haiti um, a, a few summers before on a mission trip. And God told me, this was, this was right before I, I was having to pay uh, a lot of things for college. He says, I want you to give some money to Good Shepherd's Ministry in Melbourne, Florida for the ha- Haitian missions. And I said, Lord, I've got I've to get ready to pay for stuff at school. You know, like God didn't know. Have you ever done that? Like, God, just in case you missed it, um, you know how that goes. And the, God, and the Lord placed it upon my heart to to give a, a fairly sizable sum that would be stupid, once again, to do. And uh, I said, Lord, I don't know why, but it was just, if you ever had the, the Holy Spirit just impress something on you, and if you know that if you didn't do it, you, there wouldn't be any joy. And, and so, so I did that. And, and the Lord provided in a miraculous way for that whole next uh, school year. So what, what I'm saying to you is, um, one, one more quick, quick story, because we've got to get to a cantata here. Uh, when I was... And I was in, this to me was probably the neatest one. When I was in seminary, I told you it was tight. It normally is for students. You, you get to know Raymond Noodles very well. All right, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Your, your daily diet. And, uh, there was a lady named Gloria Hoffman who lived in Palm Bay, Florida, and uh, 
I had preached there before, and, and she was always very encouraging. And she said, God has placed it upon my heart. And her husband worked, and they, they were probably in, in their 50s. And she said, I babysit for a couple every, every couple of weeks, and I, I get some money from that. And the Lord just told me to send that to you to help you in seminary. You know what she sent was about the same as what I was, I'm not saying pay, but what I was giving in tithes and offerings. And it was just like the Lord says, you know, you're a skinny kid who moved from South Georgia to Fort Worth, Texas. But I'm telling you, even in your life with your small making of money and your small bank account, I I can still confirm to you that if you just give to me, even when you don't think you have a lot, I will provide for you. That's what we have there in number five. God will use your giving to change lives. I don't know what God did with that. And I know that some of you have, we have raised money in this church. Well, Whitney went to, um, went to Italy. I don't, were you guys barely members or almost? I think just bar- barely, yeah, barely members here. Uh, not a lot of us knew them at that time. But she got up and she said, look, I'm going to Europe. And we, we talked about how Europe is a very dark place. It's a post-Christian region in the world. And like 800 and something bucks. Just like, just like, boom. Like, we don't really know you yet that well, but here's some money. Go reaching for Jesus. The young man that I, I told you guys about several months ago who didn't have any food. I think I'm going to have to get the shocks replaced on my low-riding Toyota Camry. You guys brought so much food to bring over. This is a giving church, but I'm telling you that when we, when we give, and this is the final point, look at it with me there on your outline. God will use your giving to bring glory to Himself and destroy the works of the devil. Whenever you give, even when it doesn't make sense, and if you put it on some business channel, they'd say you're stupid. And parents, I'm sorry if you've got little kids and you've been telling them that's a bad word. So they would say it's dumb. When you do that, you what you're doing is you're picking up the battering ram of the gospel and you're banging away at the very gates of hell. And I will tell you, when you see a joy-filled Christian, they're a person who has come to the point to where they have had the chains of materialism because of the mercy and grace of God ripped away from them. I'm sure if we opened it up, some of you could tell about how you were in debt, but you began to give to the Lord, to free giving, and He got you out of debt when people are like, no, you're pouring out all your water. You need more. The Bible says that your waters will be watered Himself. Let me give you three ways you can give. Number one, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. She was a young lady who died taking the gospel to China. 100% of what we're going to take up for this special offering in the month of December goes so that um, people can be reached. In fact, I have our um, monthly newsletter. Let me give you a few facts here. There are 11,659 people groups worldwide. There's 6.8 billion people. There's 6,744 unreached people groups. There's 3,789 unengaged unreached people groups. Let me tell you how our, our International Mission Board is doing. This is what it costs to support a missionary. Per year, on the average, it costs $46,700. Per month, $3,890. Per week, $900. Per day, $128. Per hour, five. $1.30 per minute, $0.09 cents updated April of 2011. That's how much it costs to keep our people taking the gospel to the un, unreached regions of the world. This past year, they started 29,237 new churches overseas. 
Not people raised in Sunday school in the Deep South, but overseas, 360,876 baptisms to the glory of God. Because people in gospel-believing, gospel-living Baptist churches all over the U.S. have during this time of the year said, you know what, I'm going to think, I'm going to pray, I may even fast to see what God wants me to give. Another one would be the Reasonable Faith Ministry of William Lane Craig. Another one would be Voice of the Martyrs, and it's helping out people around the world that are suffering persecution for the gospel. Well, you ever been doing your taxes at the end of the year? Seems the first of the year. We're going to make all we can. And we're, we're going to look next week. That's not a bad thing. In fact, God desires, I believe, to bless us financially when we're obedient. You ever look in that line of deductibles? Isn't it funny that at the first of the year, we're trying to make all we can? At the end of the year, when we're looking at it, we wish that we would have given more. Because the more you give, the more or the less is taxable. And I think when Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasure may be also. I believe there's one day that many of you step out in faith and you begin regularly to give to the work of Christ. He will free you from depression. He will give you joy. And He will radically change lives through your giving. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. This is our time of commitment and invitation as our musicians are coming. If you have never trusted Christ today, if you're here and the biggest thing that was on your mind is you you know that you don't have a relationship with God. There is no peace inside your heart that God has saved you. The Bible says that you're separated from Him. And if you die outside of receiving His salvation through Jesus Christ alone, not you changing your life, but receiving Him 100%, that you will suffer what all of us deserve, and that is separation from God and eternal hell. But God gave His Son that you, so that you don't have to go. In this moment, ask God to save you. Say, God, would you please save me? I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Save my soul, Jesus. And we're going to stand and sing here in just a few moments. We're going to ask you to get up out of your seat and walk down. And by doing that, you're just letting the Lord know. Say, God, I'm ready to put feet to my faith and I'm ready to follow you. If you need to join the church, if you need to be baptized, we ask you to come. Father, we want to give this time to you and ask that you would bring obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.